Oh my. Good morning. What a wonderful welcome. Thank you so much. And I know this is perhaps the most memorable Mother's Day I have ever experienced. We will never forget this one, will we? And uh, I was a minister of music for many years, and so I'm high as a kite on this music. Uh, you are very blessed to still have majestic music in your church. And I thought, well, if I moved to Fort Worth and I visited this church just one time, I wouldn't look around any farther because the presence of God and how well things are done here, you are indeed blessed. And I had dinner last night with Pastor Des Evans and uh, Pastor Smith and their wives, and I've always admired uh, Pastor Evans so much. My mother was born in England, so I feel we're probably related a little bit. And I just love hearing the British speak, and uh, he not only was his great accent, but he always really delivered a message. And what can you say about Dan Smith? Uh, the talent is unending, and this is such a marvelous, marvelous story here of how the transition of your church has been almost seamless, and the uh, Bible school you're starting and all. I just, God bless you, God bless you. It's, it's an honor for me to be here, and happy Mother's Day. My children called me. I have a son and a daughter. Both of them called me this morning. My son is a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama. My daughter's a professional harpist in Tampa, Florida. I have five grandchildren, eight great-grandchildren. I pray for them by name every morning, and sometimes I'm sleepy. I say, Lord, you're going to have to help me with those eight great-grandchildren. That's a lot of names to remember. But I'm thankful they all know Jesus, even the little one that's about two years old. He knows who Jesus is, and he is the God of generations. And if we'll do our part, he's going to bring our children in, if we will live before them the way we are supposed to. And so I'm very thankful that all of them are serving the Lord, but you have to stay on your knees. It's not over till it's over. And I, we can't take our money, our possessions to heaven, but we can take our family. And that's the most important thing that God ever gives us. Not too many years ago, Dr. George Barna, who is our Christian statistician, our Christian researcher, was preparing to write a book, and so he researched the habits and the behaviors of Christians and found that there was not that much observable difference between the Christian world and the secular world, and that divorce was just about as high in the church as it was in the world, and that Christians, many, great, great percentage, watch the slop that the world watches, movies and television. And as you look back at, and see that we've never had more to work with. I've been in television for more than 30 years. I have a daily Christian program. And I've been a pastor's wife and a pastor's kid and a pastor's granddaughter. And I see that with all of the mechanics that we have and the way to get the message out, we are not impacting society as we should. And the problem is not with the darkness. The problem is with the light. 
You see, the, dark, the darkness is just behaving its nature. But the light is not penetrating the darkness. That as Christians, when we go to work on Monday morning, there should be a difference when we walk in the room. To the teenagers out there, when you go to school tomorrow, you should make a difference in your classroom for the work of the Lord. You should not be impacted by the world. We should be impacting the world. And so as we look at, I see a parallel between Israel and America. And we look at the Old Testament, how God gave certain directions to Israel. And he said, if you will obey me and keep my commandments, it's going to go very well for you. He said, I'll bless you when you go out. I'll bless you when you come back in. I'll bless your families. I'll bless your prosperity if you obey me. However, if you choose to disobey me and you get into a battle, I will get in and fight with your enemies against you. It's very important that we recognize to be obedient and to live holy lives as unto the Lord. And I see the beginning of America. I, I cannot believe, as long as I've lived, to see America spiral downward so quickly. It's leaving me breathless to see the evil and the iniquity in this great nation of ours that started out absolutely blessed by God. But there were prophets in the Old Testament, and I hear their voices. I hear that, that broken-hearted prophet Hosea as he cries out, They, who were they? God's people. They have sown to the wind, but they have reaped the whirlwind. And I've watched it time and time again as I've been in the ministry for so long that when people get a little bit loose with God, they get a little bit careless with his commandments, they don't live holy lives, and they sow to that wind. And then when the whirlwind, when the tornado comes calling, it's the Pentecostals and the Charismatics who get in a group and pray to rebuke Satan. Save your breath. You can't rebuke a harvest. A harvest is something we order by our choices, by our behavior, by how seriously we take God. Can't rebuke it. Second Chronicles states, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, that's the word that you should highlight in your Bible. Turn, turn, turn. From what? From their wicked ways. I believe that when the church turns from her wicked ways in America, she humbles herself and begins to seek God, that there would be a great difference in our economy, in our school system, in our families, in the way they function when they begin to obey God. And I take my text this morning from Jeremiah, the fifth chapter and the 30th verse. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. That's not a title I would like to have. I know what it is to cry. I've cried, I cried for four or five years without stopping. And he had plenty of reason to cry as he saw God's people spiraling downward, very much like the nation we live in today. And he cries out in Jeremiah 5.30, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. 
And then he tells what it is. He says, the prophets prophesy falsely. Hello. And the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. America loves the gospel that scratches their itching ears. Loves the feel-good messages I can hear a message on Christian TV today that never mentions Jesus, never mentions the cross, never mentions the blood. It's the itching ear type of preaching. It's the feel-good message. And the old broken-hearted prophet said, you love that. He calls it a hor horrible and appalling. He says, you love it, but then he asks the question, but. What will you do at the end of it? And that's the question that no one is asking today. Because we live in the moment. We live for what feels good. If it feels good, do it. And we don't think that much about the end of it. I'll tell you someone else who never will talk to you about the end of it, and that's Satan. I was born and raised in Colorado. And I love my home state, but they've gone to pot. <laughs> and it will be their downfall. There's plenty of research to say that pot does mess up the brain. But Satan's not going to show you the end of it, where you're a blithering idiot with no job. He's not going to show you the end of it. You think it's really cool to drink with your friends? He's not going to show you alcoholism. He's not going to show you battered homes, abused spouses, and neglected children. He's not going to show you the end of it. Pope Benedict not too long ago said, We are moving toward a dictatorship of relativism that recognizes nothing definite and leaves only one's own ego and one's own desires as the final measure. That is America today. And there's too many Christians blind to it. When you take your first little titillating view of pornography, he's not going to show you the end of it. He's not going to show you that it can be highly addictive. He's not going to show you that as one psychiatrist in Florida has proven that when you view pornography like no other material, it lifts a chemical up on your brain and it'll slam it on your memory and you might not remember your own social security number, but you will remember the last sleeves you looked at. My Bible talks about, a lot about the eye. I really try to guard my eyes. David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eye. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the soul. And if that eye is full of light, then the entire body is full of light. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eye. It's time that Christians begin to protect their eye. Why? Because it goes in the mind. It goes in the brain. It goes in the thinking. And you know, God, God's not going to give you amnesia. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Go get a little thrill and then want the Lord to wipe it right out of your memory. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. He's calling us to live holy lives. 
Even when there's nobody around and there's nobody sitting beside you looking at the computer, he's still requiring you to live a holy life before him. The answer to Jeremiah's question is in Lamentations. Don't go, if you're depressed, don't go home and read Lamentations today. That'll, oh my word, I wouldn't read it on Mother's Day either. You want to stay happy on Mother's Day. It's a horrible book. It's got about three good verses in where the poor broken-hearted prophet says, but in this I do have hope. For indeed, the loving kindness of the Lord never ceases, for his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's in Lamentations. But the rest of it, oh my. It was a result of what you will you do at the end of it. And it states in Lamentations 1.9, she did not consider her future. You see, when you come into the family of God, it's a miracle and a mystery. I cannot explain old things passing away and, new th and all things becoming new. But I know that I hear Christians explain their behavior with some of the most ridiculous reasons you've ever heard. But you see, this Bible I have is very old. And it was here before Christian psychology, which I believe in. It was here before Christian counseling. I believe in that. It was here before AA, and that has done some good work. But it still says in Second Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to righteousness and holiness and living a life before him because of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Need to quit making excuses. We're so prone to do that because we live in really interesting times. I have a grandson who is a great athlete. He's, he won three MVPs, so that tells you something. But he's starting out playing football, seven or eight years old, and at the end of the season, they all got a trophy. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> I said to my daughter, what's the deal? They all get a trophy. I guess it's a participation trophy. There are no losers. None. We give these kids such an unrealistic picture of life, and that's humanism. You've got to make them feel good all the time. Humanism is the theology of the United States of America today. And so when we come into the family of God, it is that miracle mystery, and it says that as we seek after Jesus, we are given absolutely every single thing we need pertaining to holiness and righteousness. No excuse. You can't blame your mama. You can't blame your daddy. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame anybody else when you choose to sin. Now, it's really sad, tragic, of the rate of divorce in our nation today. And a lot of times the fathers aren't there. So with your permission, because I spoke to the women Friday night, okay? Can I speak to the men for a couple minutes? Are you sure? Because I spoke in my brother-in-law's church one time and I got up to speak and everybody started laughing. 
And I turn around and here it's at the whole staff with hard hats on. So are you sure you want to hear this? All right, fathers. Since I won't be here on Father's Day, make it a double header. Fathers, according to the scripture, you, you have a pretty big role here. And I, I, I want to tell you what I truly believe is that the devil is after you more than the women. And the reason for that is that God assigned you to be a leader. And so when you shoot down my head, the rest of the body doesn't work too well. It's very easy to see why Satan will often go through the man to break up a marriage. But number one, you're supposed to be a provider. That's an assignment by God. And I understand our economy. I've worked since I was 12 years old. So, But it is the father's job to provide for the family, to put the roof over the head, the food on the table. And also, the Bible tells us that the father is to be the God who is there, the Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Jireh is the provider. And that's the assignment he gave to husbands and fathers. And also the Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. And sadly, sometimes a father is in the home, but he's not there. He's not connected. The suggestion is that there is just a real connection, that you're there, you're involved, you're interested. And also... You're to be the king or the governor of the home. You like that, don't you? You just saw yourself sitting on a kingly throne with a crown. What do kings do? They govern. Sir, you're supposed to govern the car keys, the television set, who their friends are. God has called you to be their daddy, not their best boyfriend. You're supposed to know where they go and what time they're home. My husband died quite early, and my daughter was 16, and I was concerned about her dating. Because I think a guy can kind of sum up another guy better. So this young boy wanted to take her out with a church group, and there'd be a lot of other people there, so I just told him, if she's not back at 1030, I'll kill you. (laughs) She was back at 10. (laughs) Let him throw a hissy fit. You govern it, and it's great nowadays. I heard yesterday that they have a GPS now that you can track a kid anywhere. I suggest you get one and put it on your car, whatever you have to do to monitor it. And then you're to be that prophet over the home. You bring the message to God. God can speak to you for your family. He really wants you to be that prophet over the home, to direct them. You keep them in church. You keep them in the church activities. You're the king. 
And then you're to be the priest over the home. What's the priest do? He lifts that, he lifts that family before the Lord. I was raised in a home where we had a family altar every day. And daddy would call us all in. My brother would say, come on, we have to ye to pay. That meant we have to read and pray. And daddy would lead, uh, read a few scriptures and then pray over us. It wasn't a Holy Ghost revival. We didn't have to feel led to do it. Those Christians irritate me who feel they have to be led to do everything. Just do what's right and make it a habit. Do you have to feel led to brush your teeth and wash your face in the morning? I think not. And I pray for my family every morning. I have a list of missionaries I pray for. And you know, sometimes I'm not in the mood, but I tell God, I thank you, Lord, that you hear me. I believe that you hear me. I truly believe. And maybe I'm not in the mood to do it. But what's that got to do with anything? You do what is right. And so we had family altar every day. And my dad was so cruel that on Christmas morning, now our gifts were meager, but Christmas is Christmas to a child. And I wanted my gifts, and I'm ready to dive under the tree. And my dad said, wait just a minute. And he gets the Bible out. And he reads Luke, the second chapter. And I've heard Luke, the second chapter, every Sunday since Thanksgiving. And I don't want to hear it again. I'm sick of those angels. I'm tired of the wise men. Don't want it. That didn't intimidate my father one iota. And I don't remember one gift I got, friends. But I remember that my dad honored Jesus Christ on the day that we celebrated his birth. It's up to you, fathers. I go back to my scripture, what do you do at the end of it? I know, I live in the end of it. I know what the end of it's right, like. I married a brilliant preacher evangelist pastor we traveled for about seven years on the evangelistic field and then settled down in st petersburg florida took a church with about 140 people and he was a great preacher and it began to grow and we had five building programs in seven years we built a bigger sanctuary we we founded st petersburg christian school which still flourishes today the governor of the state dedicated our church. It was blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And in the middle of that blessing, my husband chose a path of disobedience. I first noticed it in his preaching. When you start preaching psychology books, instead of thus saith the Lord, you're on the wrong path. And I began to notice that. I saw a real difference in his standards. And there was unfaithfulness. And this little preacher's daughter, preacher's wife, 
fell to her knees like she never had before. And I began to pray and bombard heaven. Please turn it around. I was trying to defend God. I was trying to save the church. I was trying to save my family. I was trying to do all of it. And I prayed and prayed. I prayed every way I knew had to pray, that I knew, had to know, knew how to pray. And nothing changed. And we were asked to resign the dream, which was right. Of course it was right. But it sure hurt. I don't ever want to see my children cry like they did that day. Telling all their friends goodbye. I still have this image. They were both sitting in the orchestra, crying their heart out. Last Sunday, their dad was there. Thank God for children. Thank God for poverty when you need a job, because I had to work. And another church in town asked me to come and be their minister of music. And God, it was a Christian church. I've never, ever had Christian arms wrapped around me like I did that church. They rescued my children. It was so hard. And my husband had moved across town, and he'd left us, but we kept the door open. I always thought that somewhere down the road, we would get it back together. I thought it could be restored. I believed that. But as I saw the deterioration, I told my pastor one Sunday morning, I said, I, I've got this awful sense that something's going to happen. He said, oh, honey, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. But it wasn't because I went over to the apartment the next morning on a Monday morning. And I rang the bell and I beat on the door. And there was no answer. I had tried to call, but the, the line was busy. And I thought, well, that's good. Maybe he's talking to someone who's quite depressed. But I got the manager of the apartment house and I said, I have no rights here at all, but you've got to let me in there. And he unlocked the door, and when he did, the chain was on the door. And we had to summon policemen, and they knocked the door down. We found a very handsome, very, very gifted preacher of the gospel suicide. That was the end of it. I went out and sat on the steps, and I shook my fist up to God. I said, what do you expect from us? I think I felt like Jeremiah as he walked through the ruins. He walked through lamentations. He tripped over dead bodies. He looked into the vacant stairs and the bloated bellies of dying children. But in the middle of all that holocaust, that broken-hearted prophet looked up and he said, Oh, but this in this I do have hope. For indeed the loving kindness of the Lord never, never ceases. For his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Back a crow, though the olive yield shall fail, though there be no flocks in the stall, though there be no food in the field, though there be no fruit on the vine, yet I will exalt the Lord my God. Whatever you are going through this morning, friends, He is faithful. There is no reason for you to turn your back on him. He is faithful. He's always been faithful. However, he expects us to live according to his words, his commandments, to be holy as indeed he is holy. You say, what's the end of it like? I don't wallow in it. 
I've got nothing but praise for the Lord. My children stayed true to him. They married Christians. I have grandchildren. Every one of them know the Lord. But they'll never know their grandfather. That's the end of it. Not much you can count on this life, my friends. But something I'll tell you, you can count on. You can take it to the bank. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to this flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but thank God he didn't stop there. You want to say, he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice. When you popped out of your mother's womb, God himself was standing there and he handed you a free will. And he doesn't tamper with it that much himself. He gives you the plan. You can take his plan or you can take your own. That's the way it works. Because if there's ever a time that Christians need to exhibit and teach their children a Christian worldview, it's today. It should be an absolute priority in your home. Because everything in the school system is designed to tear it down. We need to build strong Christians in our homes. And that might require some reordering, reordering as of today. Because as I said at the top, the problem's not the darkness. The problem's the light. And we have been affected gradually, gradually, gradually by this world. We have a young man who, de- who kneels on the football field, thanks God, criticize him for it. We have a gay basket player that comes out and says, I'm gay, and they say, he's so courageous. Think what your children are picking up. That's why it has come from the home. It's mine going to be a Christian home? Is it going to be a place where we make every effort to live the standard of God, of his holiness, of putting him first in everything? If it doesn't happen to America, there is no hope for this nation. We can angst over the economy, the dysfunctional families, kids out of control, drugs. Every bit of it can be brought to the doorstep of the fact that America has forgotten God. It will never be taken care of by politics. It will be taken care of when my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He said, then, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. Thank God. 
and I will heal their land. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which will never, ever pass away. We thank you for the steps thus far that have brought us to this place of worship this morning. And I pray above everything else that the word of God, that seed of the living word of God, has gone deep into the soil of the soul. The soil of the hearer. And I pray, Lord that other ministries will water it and nourish it and nurture it. But because we were here this day with the seed, the word of God, the soil of the soul of the hearer, there will be fruit. Pray in Jesus' name. And I would like my friends... If you would stand, and I want you to think about your own family today. And you purpose in your heart that this Mother's Day has begun a change. That you're going to be that better example to your children that example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that for any rebellious, mouthy teenagers out there, you humble yourself before the Lord and your parents. Because the Bible said when you honor your parents, things will go well with you. Because through his word, he's given directives for husbands and fathers, for wives and mothers, and for children. And none of them are rocket science. But I'm asking God, and I ask him this morning in the motel room, that this would begin a new day for so many families in this church. That perhaps you've just sort of automatically taken in some of the ways of the world and you haven't even noticed it. But he called you here this morning to notice it. To take a look at your own life and say, am I making every effort to live holy? Holy before God and holy before my family and holy before the people at work. That's his call this morning. So if you're sitting as a family group, just take the hands of those God has entrusted you and let us pray, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray for every family in this building and those who represent families this morning that we will think about the consequences, that we'll think about the end of it, Lord. We'll 
think about the fact that we are supposed to make an impact and not be impacted. God, give us a boldness. Help us, Lord, to affirm this day that we are going to follow you, Father, no matter what it costs. We will follow you, and from this church, great warriors of Christ will be raised up for this Bible school that's going to be happening here for the music department, for the ministry that goes forth and that word that every single part of it will be that reminder, that reminder that we belong to you. And the least we can do is give back our lives for what you've done for us. And because of the results of that, I give you praise, I give you worship, I give you honor. Church, raise your hands and praise the Lord and thank him. Thank him for the blood. Thank him that he brought you here this morning. Thank him. Thank him for the plan that he has for your life. And he's brought us all together here to just reignite it. God bless you all in Jesus' name.